0: just join with me in a word of prayer, William. Father, we thank You for Your grace, Lord, that, uh, that we can depend on You, that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on both in our lives and in the world, Lord, we can have confidence that You are present. Lord, that You love us and that Your purposes for us are wonderful. And Lord, we submit to those things. Lord, I pray that You would open up uh, your Word as we examine it today, that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would come alive in response to your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, before I get into the message, I do have uh, something to share. And uh, uh, I just want to share this and then pray about it. <clears throat> um, some of you uh, probably are already aware, but a young man, Trent uh, Kaiser. I mean, do you have his photo? Yeah, there's Trent. Trent passed away. This past week, and uh, he was part of our uh, congregation just really over the last less than a year. And um, uh, through unfortunate circumstances, he passed away. His memorial service is going to be this Thursday at 4 o'clock at the Portage Road Baptist Church in Niles, Michigan. That's where his family lives, and he was living down in that area. Um, And uh, if you would just join with me in a word of prayer for his family. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. We thank You that we had uh, at least a brief time to get to know Trent. And uh, we grieve at the, the loss of his life. Father, a uh, life with such potential, uh, stolen away. And Father, we ask for Your grace just to comfort all those who mourn. Lord, His family, those of us here uh, that uh, mourn His loss. Father, and we pray that, you're, that You would be a very present help in this time of need that we would turn to You. And Lord, what the enemy intended for evil, that You truly would turn about for our good and for His good, for Your good, ultimately. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Portage Road Baptist Church, uh, I don't know where that is, but you can Google it, Portage Road Baptist Church in Niles, Michigan, if you want to, uh, go, it's four o'clock this Thursday. All right, um, you know, today's Serve Sunday, and this, this Sunday, and next Sunday, we're just going to be talking about, uh, serving in the local church, uh, local body, and then after, uh, this service, you'll have the opportunity to sign up, and, um, uh commit to serving in different areas of the body. You know, I was thinking about this. When I was when I was a kid, tell you how old I was I am. You know, some of you can relate. When I was a kid, nobody had a computer. Can you believe it? When I was a kid nobody had seen a computer (laughs) except for a few scientists, right? And some cutting edge people had uh had developed them but um, I remember them talking about it, and of course we'd watch Jetsons. <coughs> by golly, almost all of it's come true. <laughs> I remember that my grandfather owned a store, and my dad bought the store, and so as a kid I worked in the store, and we actually rang up stuff with push buttons and a crank. Okay, that would that would do manual addition by mechanical gears. Uh, and we'd crank it out, and later we bought an electric one, which was cool. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I remember uh, uh, different things. This is what really got me thinking along this line. I remember when I was young, I'd watch t- commercials and, and advertisements for products actually talked about the product and, and the features and the, uh, of, of the product, like the horsepower and the towing capacity if you're talking about a car. And then at, cer- at a certain point, uh, it changed, and it wasn't really about... What, what the product did as much as how it looked, you know, and how sexy it was and how cool it was. And, and the, the appearance of it became more important than the, the, the detailed description of what it did. It, there was just a subtle change in how, how companies communicated their products. And now there's been another change. And some of you probably are aware of it. And again, it's subtle. It's gradual. You still have some old style commercials or they mix it up. But there's a great emphasis and I read a number of business magazines and it's really evident in these magazines because they're, they're advertising to business leaders who are cutting edge people. Uh, and so the, the advertising companies are really trying to be cutting edge. And so in some of the ads, they, they barely even mention the product. And all they really talk about is what they're doing to either make other people's lives better or to save the planet, you know, by how green they are, and and the, the whole uh, emphasis of uh, the the advertisement is uh, in 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 kind of this um, what's the word for it <clears throat> humanitarian, you know, that they're they're being uh, altruistic, you know, and a perfect example of this. Some of you may be aware of this company called Tom's Tom Shoes. How many of you know Tom Shoes? are cool Uh, yeah a couple of young people so I I found out about them like right out of the gate (laughs) I thought it was really cool because it's Tom Shoes Company and, and I'm not saying it's not good you got a pair right you're wearing a pair they're under your. She brought a pair along. She's not wearing them. <laughs> so what's the deal with Tom's shoes? Well, Tom's shoes decided they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be a company not just to make money, but they're gonna change the world. And and so they give away a pair of shoes to needy children somewhere in the world. For every pair that you buy, they give a pair of shoes away. And this is their emphasis of the, of the company. And by golly, it's taken them from an unknown company I think just two years ago to now it's one of the biggest companies. There is, you know, it's, it's a leading company in the shoe industry because they give away. But, you know, I looked at those shoes, and they're not cheap. <laughs> you pay for both pairs, yeah. I'm like, that's a, that's a maybe a $20 shoe, but they're charging $45, bucks, All right? And they're probably giving away a $5 shoe somewhere else in the third world country. And my daughter and I were talking, I was like, yeah, they're probably giving shoes to people in villages, I I don't know, but that look at shoes and go, what would we ever use this for? (laughs) You know, they're using the beet, uh, (laughs) to, uh, to, to to harvest wheat or something. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe I'm sure they're they're really meeting a genuine need and it's, I'm not talking uh, negatively about, against that because I I actually think it was really, it was a really cool idea, but but what became, you know, the, the the issue of why it was a good company uh, was that cool factor. What really counted was the cool factor, um, and, and and that and that it, that by by buying a pair of expensive shoes, you can actually help someone. Wow, that's just great! I can be altruistic. I can I can help someone by buying shoes. This... I don't know if this is connecting, but to me, think about that. Buy a pair of expensive shoes and help the needy. And so you go out and buy expensive shoes and think you're helping the needy. And you are, in one sense. But at a drastic different level, in a drastic different way, you know that—that's out of out of an excessive surplus. By gratifying some one of your desires, you, in passing, do something good for someone you never have to look at, or even visit their country, let alone care for their real need. And, and Tom Shoe's company—I mean—they're doing it. They're out there and delivering those shoes, and that's great, but they've just kind of tapped in uh, and, and that's just typical of 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 a marketing strategy that's using the desire to do good, which is a good desire to make money you know and to satisfy this desire in us in a way that isn't really uh, at the same level of self-sacrifice that Christ calls us to. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's universally understood that living uh, a self-serving lifestyle is probably the least satisfying lifestyle of all. A self-serving lifestyle is the least satisfying. But very, very few people really live in this altruistic way. Very, very few are able to, to transcend self and live for others Consistently and with abandon. Yeah, this is exactly how Christ lived. That's the lifestyle that He demonstrated, and it's the lifestyle that the Bible calls us to for thousands of years. This is not a new marketing strategy to build a church or to build a company. It's the call that Christ has has called each and every one of His followers to. It's 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 the commission. That God has given to each one that hears that we can step out of our self-gratification lifestyle and into a lifestyle of self-sacrifice and service. A lifestyle that demonstrates the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to talk about. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if you'll read along with me. We're going to read it from three uh, different translations and then just talk about it uh, for a few minutes. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to start in the New King James. It says, Therefore, This is Paul addressing the church in Philippi, um, writing to them about how to live a Christian life. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. From the Amplified, this is three times as long, (coughs) it says, so by whatever appeal to you there is in our mutual dwelling in Christ, by whatever strengthening and consoling and encouraging our relationship in Him affords, by whatever persuasive incentive there is in love. Think about that. By whatever persuasive incentive there is in love. And true love has an incredible persuasive incentive. Fake love doesn't. But true love does. Whatever participation in the Holy Spirit we share, by whatever depth of affection we share, and compassionate sympathy. Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and of one purpose, having the same love, being in full accord in of one harmonious mind and intention. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each... Regard the others as better than and superior to him or herself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Look to the person next to you and say, I think of you more highly than I think of myself. Is it mutual? Did you hear that? Oh come on! Lighten up. All right. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also for the interests of others. From the message, just a more modern paraphrase, it says, "If you've gotten anything, (laughs) I like how he puts it. (laughs) If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have any heart, if you care, then do me a favor." Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That is the pattern, the biblical pattern pattern of a New Testament church. If you want to know what a New Testament church is to look like, you just heard a description of what should be the motivating aspect of a New Testament church. A church that's really patterning themselves after the person of Christ. And what I mean by a church is the whole assembly, each individual. There's no discussion of music style or building design. Right? You know, Nowhere in the Bible actually does it talk about what kind of music you're supposed to play. Or what kind of building you're supposed to be in. There's no mention of programs or policies or procedures. Those things are often important in order for us to be enabled to serve one another. I understand the importance of those kind of things. But this gets to the heart, the motivation of what it means. There's a passionate plea to live out the love that Jesus Christ has for one another in real ways says, if there is any consolation in Christ, I like how one commentator, uh, Clark, <coughs> uh, explains this. He kind of goes in and explains the original language a little bit. He says, the if there, when, when, when it's translated if, does not express doubt uh, in any way, but on the contrary, it's to be considered as a strong affirmation. It could be translated, as there is consolation in Christ, or as there is comfort in love. And the word consolation is in other places rendered exhortation and is by several critics understood so here. As if he had said, in other words, this could have been written this way, if exhorting you in the name of Christ has any influence with you, you know, we are to live that particular way. It is extremely difficult, uh, Clark writes, to give the force of these expressions. Okay, In the original language, this expression comes forth very forcefully, Paul is really pouring out his heart. It says, they contain a torrent of most affecting eloquence. The Apostle pouring out his whole heart to a people whom with all his heart he loved. He's passionate about this. And who were worthy of the love even of an Apostle. Paul was pouring out his heart. Expressing it. This is what it means to live as a Christian. This is what it means to live in Christ. This is what it means to live in love and in Christ's spirit, saints. This is what it means to live. All right. What Paul's expressing here is the real meaning of what life is when your life is caught up in 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 in. Uh, honoring others more than yourself. Seeing others. He goes on, he says, Fulfill my joy, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and amplified. Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony of being of the same mind and in one purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. And then the message, do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other. I like this. Be deep-spirited friends. deep Spirited friends. Uh, this, is, this is the call. All of these are expressions of the level of unity and connectedness that we're all called to. All right? You're to be deep-spirited friends. When we assemble together, you know, there's some reason that you're here this morning. There's some reason that all the people that, that uh, attend New Day Community Church and, and, and you know, everyone has different reasons why they, they, they choose a church and get plugged in. But God has a reason. And you your call here, you bring something to the, to the table. You bring something into the congregation. Uh, and, and you're needed, each and every one. And the call is to live in a way that we're deep-spirited friends to one another, that we're really committed to one another, and this happens in a, in a variety of ways. It, it happens in a, in a little teeny bit here on Sunday morning, you know, when uh, we have two services and people come and you do the worship, and it's all scheduled out, <clears throat> and that's important. It's it's, it's a launching pad, uh, but when you get plugged in and you serve. In different areas together. When you meet throughout the week to plan out a children's church teaching, or or when you when you come in and <clears throat> uh, uh, help help uh, fix something that's broken, or mow the lawn, or when you get involved in a, a assimilation of the uh, what do they call it? Fusion team. <laughs> you know when you're partnering together, when you're working hand in hand, when you when you're getting together on a committee to solve a problem. That's when you get. That's when you work together you really get to know each other when you when you give up something of your own to help serve uh the greater good of this community and then as as a community we do many many things to serve the greater community and the world community we're constantly giving away resources sending people and teams out as well as lots of money all over the world to make a difference why because we're committed to one another that's the heartbeat of this congregation. It's the heartbeat of the, new te- the picture of the New Testament that Paul is talking about here. Um, A <clears throat> couple of other uh, 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 commentaries or, or explanations of uh, this, this term. Uh, being of one accord. Uh, Robertson's word picture says it could be put this way. Harmonious in soul. Harmonious in soul. How about this? Souls that beat together in tune with Christ and with each other. Wow! You know, that's what people are looking for. That's what you're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. To be around the people that have the same heartbeat, soul beat, that we're united, we agree, we're walking in agreement. And we're walking in agreement, not just in some humanitarian do-goodism, but in the call to live like Christ, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And I look at Him and I want to live like Him. Right? And then if you say that, then we're in the same heartbeat. Our souls are in tune with one another. One mind, thinking one thing, he describes it like this like clocks that strike at the same moment. An identity and harmony. <laughs> An identity of ideas and harmony of feelings. An identity. Identity? Identity of ideas and harmony of feelings. You know, the thing is, is that we're thinking, we understand one another, and we're in agreement. But we also feel the same way. It doesn't mean that we agree with every little teeny thing that you know on every little political discourse or every little word of, of what the Bible means. No, we bring a diversity, but we come in together with this unity of love and purpose that's patterned after the life of Christ, and that creates a bond of love where we where we see ourselves connected to one another and with the whole. Of the body of Christ. And that changes your life, saints. It changed my life radically. And it can change you. Call. You're called to this. You're called to step into this. And what's the opposite? What's the alternative? Being alone, or going off on your own, or getting caught up not in the identity of Christ, not in the unity of Christ but in unity with some other alternate call or alternate direction that will leave you ultimately empty and alone. John Wesley writes concerning this verse, he says, seeing Christ as your common head, having the same love to God, your common Father, being of one soul, I like this, animated with the same affections and tempers as you have all drank uh, to one spirit of one mind, tenderly rejoicing and grieving together. There's things in life that cause us to grieve. There's things in life that cause us great rejoicing. That we have a community where we can do that together. It doesn't happen automatically. It happens as you give yourself to one another as you set aside your own desires and you see others as being more important. You esteem others better than yourselves. Verse 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Clark says about this, Let nothing be done through strife. Never be opposed to each other. Never act from separate interests. You're all brothers and sisters. You're all one body. Why would you compete against another? This is, this is, this is why marriages fail. Because they get too concerned with their own needs. Instead of seeing that their own need is best met by meeting their spouse's need. And when both spouses have that passionately, then that marriage becomes passionate because each is concerned not with meeting their own need, but with meeting the other need. And your own need is not unmet because your spouse is motivated by meeting your need. Are you getting it? And that in that relationship, both needs are met By being selfless. (laughs) Alright? And the same principle applies to the church and to every relationship. As you pour out yourself for others, that's when your greatest needs are met. Uh, Clark says, Never be opposed to each other. Never act from separate interests. You're all brothers of one body. Therefore, let every member feel and labor for the welfare of the whole. And in the exercise of your different functions and in the use of your various gifts, do nothing so as to promote your reputation separately, considered <clears throat> separately considered from the comfort, honor, and advantage of all. Uh, let me read this. It says, But in lowliness of mind, having always a humbling view of yourself, and this will lead you to prefer others over yourself. For as you know your own secret defects, Charity will lead you to suppose that your brethren are more holy and more devoted to God than you. (laughs) As they will think the same of you. This is so true. Because, you know, in pastoral ministry, people come in and they just say, you know, they share some deep secret. And I'm like, yeah, everybody struggles with that. And I, I actually have to really be careful not to trivialize what people think is so severe. And yeah, it is. It is very severe. We all have issues, you know And, and some, but everybody thinks their issue is worse than everybody else. Yeah, everybody thinks that <laughs> And so you come in and say, "These people are so spiritual. I've had this so many times. So I' to slap people. <clears throat> oh, I could never fit in here. Yeah, stop it <laughs> <laughs> I can never fit in here. Everybody else is so spiritual. I'm like, just get to know us for a little while. <laughs> get to know us better. You'll find out. Because <laughs> we have secret issues. And so you have secret issues and say, oh, this, this person must be holier than I. They, they're more connected. you know. And they're thinking the same of you. The word here is, hey, quit thinking about yourself. Amen. What need can you meet? Pour yourself into that, and in doing that, you're actually you'll find that that secret defect has less effect on you, it has less power over you. If it's a sin, you can walk free from it because it no longer it's no longer feeding him, because you can feed on the love that you have when you invest in the lives of others, even if they don't return. What you give. Okay? Because ultimately you're giving not to a particular individual or a Sunday school class. I mean, you pour your heart out to invest all the time to teach these kids and they just run out of the room, you know, and disobey. You're not serving, you're serving them, but ultimately you're serving the Lord Jesus. And He will not let you down. Alright? He will not let you down. That's the motivation that keeps us faithful let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit <clears throat> listen this in order for this to work it has to work 24/7 all right in order for you to really benefit from this principle you can't just be this way 50% of the time certainly not just sunday morning okay but you really can't live this way even seventy five percent of the time and twenty five percent of the time you just do what you want because hey, I got needs too. Alright? That's faking it. Alright? And, and and the reason I'm saying this is not to condemn you, it's to say the way to get the benefit of being Christ like is to live Christ like. And then if you're not living Christ-like, can I get this more simple? You won't have the benefit of it. Jesus wasn't self-sacrificial 75% of the time and 25% of the time yelling at his disciples to go get him, you know, caviar and filet mignon. Okay? Are you hearing me? Jesus was hungry. And asked his disciples to go get him something. While they were away, he saw a woman and ministered to her. And that ministry fed him. His disciples came back and said, I don't need the food anymore. I have meat that you don't know of. What was it? He served someone that his disciples would not even lower themselves to talk to. You remember the story I'm talking about? The woman? They were shocked that he even talked to him. He talked to her. He was built up to the point where he didn't even need to eat. He was full, full on God. This is Christ-like life. It must uh, apply all the time. Evaluate your life, please, through this filter. The filter of, is this act, thought, belief, or behavior being done out of selfish ambition? Now, <clears throat> don't interpret selfish ambition in, in, a, in, a, in a way that means you know just to make money. Or to get to the top of the corporate ladder. Because that may not apply to you. All right? If you're not interested in the corporate ladder, your selfish ambition isn't going to come across in trying to get a promotion. If, you're, if, you're, if your uh, uh, interests are more <clears throat> like being the best gamer in your community, you know, or having you know, the most stylish clothes, or whatever it is, are you understanding me? You know, don't say, oh, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not really interested in, in, in a career or driving a nice car. Okay, well, what is it that your self is interested in? And it's different for each of us. And that self is what needs to come and bow and, 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 and serve. Bow down before the Lord Jesus by serving one another and serving others. Uh, it's, it means don't. It, I like Thayer's d- description of this word. It says courting distinction. Courting distinction. That means trying to find a way that you're distinct, you're different. <clears throat> now, it's okay to have your unique style, it's okay to, to be you, but, but not in a way that, 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 you know, that affirmation that you get uh-huh, is, is what you depend on for your identity. Because what you depend on for your identity is the affirmation you receive from the Lord Jesus when He rewards you in secret for those things that you've done. Are you hearing me? Alright. <clears throat> That's Christ's call. Jesus said, uh, "Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after Me, this is in Luke nine twenty-three. if anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself or herself, take up his or her cross daily and follow Me. Daily. Daily. Every day. We need to see how can I live Christ-like in this situation. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Christ calls us to live at a level of selflessness that exceeds Tom's shoes. (laughs) That exceeds market do Okay, Are you hearing me? <clears throat> let nothing be done it means nothing. Anytime we let self come to the front and and uh and be fed, it robs us of the life of Christ. Anytime we let self come to the forefront rather than Christ, and we feed it, it becomes strong and it robs you. It robs you of life. It robs you of life. This is I'm not motivate i'm not talking to you in order to get something out of you i'm trying to show you what the bible says this is this is the way to the fullness of life it's by following christ's example we can't feed ourselves in secret and expect christ's life to shine forth from us so you have to apply this when you're home alone when you're deciding what to do Friday evening, Sunday evening, Tuesday afternoon, when you're deciding what to read or what to watch or what website to visit. What is motivating you at those times? Is it to be more Christ-like? Is it to meet someone else's need? And in so doing, be like Christ and receive from Him the affirmation that gives me the zeal to live even more passionately for Him. Or is it just satisfying some carnal desire because maybe I'm feeling lonely or feeling hurt? <clears throat> Ultimately, it is in being altruistic that you find the greatest reward. And we don't, we don't say that in a way uh, it's, it's, it's not a, market, a marketing uh, trick it's when you live committed to Christ and live out your life committed to others that in the end, though you may endure hardship, you will have the reward of looking back and saying, I served well. And you'll hear the words of your Lord Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. All right. <clears throat> Let me get to the end here. Bum, 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 bum. You know, churches, <clears throat> you know, we're looking to build a genuine uh, community uh, to where uh, we facilitate this. And serving on different teams, and we have a whole bunch of different uh, opportunities for you to serve. You need to plug in and get related relationally through these ways. And this happens every year. We have people sign up, but never get involved. And then I try to teach the leaders how to draw people in. But you know what? There shouldn't be any need to try to draw you in. You should be pounding at the door. Alright? Why? Because you love the community. You love, we're called to, our heart is beating in the same, uh, tune. And if we can make this better, every one of the ministries is designed to make, uh, the, the purpose of, of New Day move forward so we can reach more people in this community. Alright? And if you're called to that by serving, and it may seem disconnected, but it's not. We purposely avoid doing stuff that's disconnected to the purpose of reaching out and, and reaching up to God and reaching out to others and getting ourselves healed up. So in every area, you can, uh, if you, you serve, and, and I understand, I was just talking with someone uh, just the other day. And he's working a full-time job. And he's got two little kids. and He's like, man, it's hard. It's hard. And he, he said he, used to be, he had to repent because he used to be judgmental of people who wouldn't come and volunteer as much as he did. And he said, now I realize what it's like to have a real life. <laughs> I understand how difficult it is how to work and have kids, but it's important. And, and find ways to involve your family life and your kids into the community of the church. And we're not asking you to serve 40 hours a week. You know, one or two. A month even is what most of it boils down to unless you're in the worship team or some other ministry teams that require a little more than that. But it's in doing that is it one example. Of course, you learn it here and then you do it not just here but elsewhere. You serve wholeheartedly co-workers and family members and neighbors. You learn the pattern and then you reproduce it elsewhere. That's the call. You're called into this. We try to facilitate it by giving you opportunity, but it's between you and Christ that the Spirit of Christ reproduces the heart of Christ in you so that you can meet the needs of others. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. That was great. I really